I wanted to talk to you guys about the picture that's on the screen at the front of the church. What do you see there? A rainbow. And what is a, a special about the rainbow? Do you know? It's in the Bible. Have you ever heard the story about the rainbow in the Bible? You have? What is, no? Can't remember? Well, it's about a man whose name is Noah. And Noah, as we heard already this morning, he made a big, huge boat. And that big, huge boat was called an ark. And God told Noah to build that ark because God was going to make it rain for 40 days and 40 nights, and then it never rained ever before. The Bible says that it used to be that there was actually like a, a little mist, a little fog that would come up off the gra- out of the ground, and that's how the plants would get water. But now, God was going to cause rain to come down from the sky. And this time, it was going to literally flood the entire earth, and God was going to send animals to come and be in the ark, and God also told Noah to have some of his family come in the ark. And then, they all went into the ark, the waters came, and all of the other living things on the earth died. And then, they were in that ark, not just for 40 days and 40 nights, they were in that ark 100 plus days. It might have been almost a year that they were in that ark. And then finally, finally, the waters went away. And God opened up the ark for Noah and his family to come out, and the animals all went out. And God said to Noah this, I want to read it to you. In the Bible, it's in Genesis chapter 9, the very first book of the Bible, and at the end of that whole story, where God um, had flooded the earth, Noah said, I mean, excuse me, God said to Noah, I am going to establish my promise, my covenant with you. Never again will all creatures be cut off by the waters of the flood. Never again shall there be a flood that destroys the earth. And God said to Noah, This is the sign of the covenant and promise that I make between me and you and every living creature that is with you. For all future generations, that includes even us. I have set my rainbow in the cloud, and it shall be a sign of the covenant or the promise that's between me, God, and the earth. And when I bring clouds over the earth, and the rainbow is seen in the clouds, I will remember my covenant that is between me and you and every living creature of all flesh. And the waters shall never again become a flood to destroy all flesh. And when the rainbow is in the clouds, I'll see it, and I will remember the everlasting covenant between God and every living creature of all flesh that is on the earth. And God said to Noah, This is the sign of the promise, or the sign of the covenant that I have established between me and all flesh that is on the earth. And what's so cool is when I look up into the sky and I see a rainbow, I can remember this promise that God made that he will never, ever, 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 ever again allow the waters of the earth to flood and cause a, a, a worldwide devastation like it did before and kill all of the creatures. But what's so cool is what's up on the screen. It says, God says whenever God sees the rainbow, 
God will be reminded of the promise that God made. And God will never do it again. See, God said, I'm, I'm putting it in, in place so that I will remember that it will never, ever happen again. I promise you this, it will never happen again. And we can know, because it said, this promise is for all future generations. That means everyone who ever lives on the earth. We never have to be afraid of a flood coming and destroying all of the earth, all of the creatures on the earth, because God made a promise to us. And every time we see that rainbow, know that God will keep his promise. And what's cool is when God makes a promise to you, he always keeps it. It's not just a flood that he promises. Sometimes God makes certain promises to each one of us. And if God makes a promise to you, you know you can trust him. He will do what he said. Let's pray. Jesus, bless these kids. Help them, God, to learn to trust you. Help them to recognize that you keep your promises and you keep your word to us. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Okay, you guys can go back and sit down. I feel like I'm yelling because I'm having to do this stuff this microphone. So can somebody increase the volume? Are you guys hearing me? I'll get you up. Are you hearing me? Speaking one, two, three, four. Is it okay? I can hear you. Okay. Huh? Testing one, two, six. Are you hearing me come out of the speakers? Okay, well, hopefully it's going to be recorded properly. I don't know what's going on. But anyway, that's okay. Um, I absolutely love the color red. And for some of you who saw me earlier this morning, you saw me in my comfort clothes. Natalie called me my pajamas. <laughs> but I came over here because I had some work that I had to get done, but I was still in my comfort clothes. As I had got up in the morning and I was needing just to be before the Lord. And honestly, as I was journaling this morning, um, this depth of pain and sadness swelled up. I didn't know that it was coming. I honestly didn't. I was just journaling. And I journaled a certain sentence and I was like, blah! <laughs> All this snot started coming out of my face. It was really gross. And I told Lord, I said, I don't understand that. I don't know why that came out, but thank you that you're able to help me reach that deep part of me. And, but I needed the red, the comfort of my red clothes, because I love red. I mean, my truck is red. I'm wearing a red shirt. My phone is red. I have a red watch band that I wear absolutely every day. And some of you will say this is TMI, but I need you wearing red boxer shorts, <laughs> The crazy thing is, for almost my entire adult life, when somebody asks me what is my favorite color, I would say green. And I did just recently see on Facebook a an artist thing about the color wheels and all this, and green is almost like an opposite color to red. And I was thinking about that this week as I was thinking about this, that I've always said green was my favorite color most of my adult life, but I wear red. I bring red into my life. I have constantly had red. Now, a lot of you already heard the story about how God has released me from the shame that I carry. 
I mean, I, I don't need to go into that story again. If you don't know what I'm referring to, come and see me privately, and I'll be glad to tell you the whole story. It'll take about five or six minutes. But the reality is, is God released me from shame as a human being. And as a result, I can now wear red. I couldn't for many, many years. Renee, when I first met her, when I first started wearing red after the shame was removed, she noticed, she said, you've never worn red before, now you're wearing red. And it's because God did something in my life. And this red is a result. It, it, it literally is a symbol of what God did in my life. It's a, for lack of a better word, it's, it's an icon, if you will. Wearing red. And look around the sanctuary right now. Just take a moment to look around. What do you see on the walls? Nothing. What do you see in here? You see the pews, of course. You see the people. But up here, what do you see? You see a cross. You see some candles. You see uh, the elements for our communion. You'll notice, if you're intentional about thinking about this, you'll notice there's not anything in this space, especially the decorations in this space, that are anything but a thing to point me to God in my act of worship and in my time of prayer and meditation. I have intentionally, as your pastor, I have intentionally over the years, you never turn a church quickly, but over the years I have intentionally brought, taken out anything and everything that didn't focus on God. So that's why there are no American flags in our sanctuary. That's why the beautiful round um, quilt that was made in honor of someone who died is in our foyer so that it's prominent and everyone sees it but it's no longer in our worship space. And the reason for that is we only bring things in here that help us to worship and praise and focus on God during our time of prayer and worship. That's what this room is for. That's what we set it apart for. And see, this idea of symbols or signs or iconography, this whole thing about focusing on God when you're worshiping, it's as ancient it's as ancient as the story of Noah, and the flood, and the rainbow. God himself set up this practice of setting something before God's self that is a reminder of the relationship between God and man. Every time I see the rainbow, I will remember the promise I have made to all of creation. And I will never again flood the earth to bring this death and destruction. It is a promise that I made, it is written, it is done, and I set the rainbow as a constant sign of, that, of a remembrance of that promise. And it's not for us as much as it's for God. He said it right there in Genesis chapter 9 verse 16. When I see the rainbow, I will remember my promise to you. I've never read those words before. I've read them a thousand times in my life, but I've never heard them that way before. It's always, when I see the rainbow, oh, oh, oh remember that God has not... No! God himself said, when I see the rainbow, I'll remember the promise I made to you. To me, that says a lot about science. Now, I remember when I was a young Christian, I was at an altar of prayer, 
at a church one time. I was 18 years old, and I had spent a lot of time in prayer at that church, at that altar, um, that that particular service. And I had been weeping before the service. And one of the men of the church came up to me and put his arms around me and was praying with me. And, and when we were done, I was just sitting there, just kind of cleaning the snot off my face and just just you know calming down. And, and I happened to look down and. Three individual tears had dropped onto the surface of that prayer room. And they formed almost a perfect triangle. And I looked at that three triangle-shaped tear formation, and I looked over at my friend, and I said, that's like God telling me that he heard all of this, and he's showing me. And you know what that said? Bob, you put too much into that's just ridiculous. And it, that was, well, I was 61 years old. So that was 40 years ago. 42, 30 years ago. And it didn't crush me, but it kind of knocked props out. And I really, I, I wish I could go back now. Man's already dead, because I mean, 40 years ago. He was old then. But I wish I could go back and help him to understand. Because see, I'm not telling you you have to practice this. This is, your, this, this is how God talks to me. But the reality is, it's a biblical practice to have signs and symbols and, 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 and stake a, uh, put a stake in the ground thing. When has God done something cool and spectacular? Put a stake in the ground. Raise up an Ebenezer. Why? If God needs to do it, you need to do it. That's why. If you look in Genesis chapter, you were not going to turn there. I mean, we can. You can read it for yourself later. If you look at Genesis chapter 28, there's a story about a man named Jacob. And Jacob has been literally cast out of his, of his family because of you know some bad practices and bad things that he did. Literally, his life's on the line. And his wife, his mom told him, Get out of here. Go to my brother Laban. Stay there for a while because your brother is going to kill you. And you just stole the blessing from your father. He's not too happy with you. So get out of here. So Jacob literally leaves his father's place. And he heads towards his uncle Laban. And one night, he's in a place that has now become known as Bethel. Jacob named that place. It was called the house of God. And the reason he named it was because while he was camping there that night, he had laid a stone down to put his head on as a pillow. And in his dream, or in his, maybe he had a vision, or maybe he literally saw, I don't know, there he saw stairs rising up to heaven, and he literally saw angels coming and going. And he realized that this was a holy place, this was a thin place, this was a place where God intersects with the earth. And so when he got up in the morning, it says that he took that stone and he turned it on his head and stood up and poured oil on it, and he made a covenant with God. And I want to read that part of it. So Genesis 28, and it's verses 10 through 22 that we're going to be looking at that part of it. I didn't want to read the whole story. It says... Verse 18. So early in the morning, Jacob took the stone that he had put under his head, and he set it up as a pillar and poured oil on top of it. He called the name of that place Bethel. For the name of the city was Luz, for God, uh, at the first. Then Jacob made a vow, saying, If God will be with me, and will keep me in this way that I go, 
and will give me bread to eat and clothing to wear, so that I come again to my father's house in peace. Then the Lord shall be my God. And this stone, which I have set up for a pillar, shall be God's house. And all that you give me, excuse me, and of all that you give me, I will give a full tent to you. So literally, Jacob, recognizing God is in this space, pulls, pulls up the pillow, the, the pillow, sets it on end, pours oil on it in, a de- in an act of dedication and consecration, and he says to God, I'm going to make a covenant with you, God, and this is going to be the witness between you and me. If you will be my God, wherever I go, whatever I do, if you will prosper me, if you will take care of me, if you will make sure I have food to eat, and close to where I promise you I will serve you, and on top of that, of everything you provide, I will give 10% of it back to you. And that's what is now known as Bethel. It was a rock that he turned up. It happened to be a rock he put his head on to sleep on, but he turned it up and he consecrated it, and he said, this is a place where I will remember this covenant that I've made between me and God. So you see, what we see there is that this symbol thing, this icon thing, it can be from God to you, or it can be from you to God. And it can represent that point, that spot. Again, driving that stake in the ground. What has happened between you and God? Let this be the representation of it, so that every time you come by and see it, you will remember, this is the time when God worked in my life. Or this is the time when I promised God something. If you look in 1 Samuel chapter 7, we see another rock being turned into an icon or an Ebenezer or a commemorative thing. It's at Samuel chapter 7, and it's verse 2, but it's last half of verse 2. And then it goes into um, all the way through to 12. It says, And so Samuel said to all the houses of Israel that you are returning to the Lord with all of your heart. See, they had been away from God. They, they had turned their hearts away from God. They had gone to their own devices, their own thoughts. And Samuel, who was the prophet, leader, priest over the nation at that point, said to the nation, If you are returning to the Lord with all of your heart, then put away the foreign gods the Ashtaroth from among you. Direct your heart to the Lord and serve him only and he will deliver you out of the hand of the Philistines. So the people of Israel put away all of their false gods, the Baals and the Ashtaroth, and they served the Lord only. And then Samuel said, gather all of Israel at Mizpah and I will pray to the Lord for you. So they gathered at Mizpah and drew water and poured it out before the Lord and fasted on that day and said there, we have sinned against the Lord. Samuel judged the people of Israel at Mizpah. And now when the Philistines heard the people of Israel had gathered at Mizpah, the lords of the Philistines then went up against Israel. And when the people of Israel heard it, they were afraid of the Philistines. And the people of Israel said to Samuel, Don't cease to cry out to the Lord our God for us, that he may save us from the hand of the Philistines. So Samuel took the nursing lamb and offered it as a whole burnt sacrifice, an offering to the Lord. And Samuel cried out to the Lord of Israel, for Israel, and the Lord answered him. As Samuel was offering up the burnt offering, the Philistines drew near to attack Israel. But the Lord thundered with a mighty sound that day against the Philistines, 
and threw the Philistines into confusion, and they were defeated before the nation of Israel. And the men of Israel went out from Mizpah and pursued the Philistines and struck them as far as below Beth Par. Then Samuel took a stone and he set it up between Mizpah and Shem, and he called it Ebenezer. And he said, Till now the Lord has helped us. See, the word Ebenezer means stone of help. So the Philistines were subdued and did, again, did not again enter the territory of Israel. And the hand of the Lord was against the Philistines all the days of Samuel. The cities that the Philistines had gathered had taken from Israel were restored to Israel from Ekron to Gath. And Israel delivered their territory from the hands of the Philistines. There was peace also between Israel and the Amorites. And Samuel judged Israel all the days of his life. You see, God made a promise. He set a rainbow as a reminder to God's self that he will always keep that promise. Uh, Jacob made a promise to God. Jacob set up a stone and consecrated it and said, This will be a remembrance at all times of the covenant I'm making with you, God. So it's from God to man or from man to God. And then also, when there's a turning back, a repentance, a time of consecration saying, I was away from you, God, but I'm coming back, and this is going to be the place, the stone, the stick that I brought in the ground that will always remind me of the moment that I came back and I rededicated my life. And this story, powerful story, all of a sudden the enemy comes and tries to cause harm, and what does God do? And throws the enemy into total confusion. So that there's indeed one more victory, but it's so great that Philistines, for the rest of the time Samuel's on the earth, never again tried to harm the nation of Israel. That doesn't mean that they didn't eventually. But while Samuel was ruling, never again did the Philistines come. And that rock that he had put up was a testament to what God had done and what God was doing and the relationship between God Signs and symbols have been important from ancient times. In our Christian world, we have signs. I mean, we have a cross. Every time you see the cross, you think of, I mean, you're supposed to be thinking about the fact that Christ was crucified on the cross. People wear crucifixes or crosses on their person as a statement of their faith. There are, uh, if you look in the book of John, chapter 20, you don't need to turn there, but just look at the book of John, chapter 20, which is the next to the last chapter of the book. And in verses 30 and 31, John, the author of the book, says, These signs were written about so that you may believe that Jesus is the Son of God. The whole book of of John is dealing with signs so that you will know that God has sent his one and only Son. So that you can have a relationship. That's the whole crux of that book. Signs and symbols, icons, places where you know that you know that God and you and your What is? Think about the fact that in Christian life we have two key signs. They're called sacraments. Those of you who attend my membership class recently, you've heard me talk about the sacraments. We have the sacrament of baptism. We have the sacrament of the communion. What is the representation of this sacrament of the baptism? It represents the going down into death and rising to new life in Christ. It's a public statement of our faith in Christ. 
practice weekly is a representation of remembrance to us, Christians, not so much to the world. The baptism is a remembrance from us to the world. This is a remembrance for us to remember the fact that God loved you enough that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Every time you take this communion, you are making that statement again to yourself. God, you loved me enough to die for me. You have cleansed me of my sins. You have righted the wrong between you and me. I no longer have to fear, as we alluded to, not really, but did. My chains are gone. And so, when I asked the Lord what I needed to say to you this morning, we talked about all of this stuff, but what's the take-home? The take-home is this. You are in a, in a dynamic relationship with God. This isn't just this goal that's out there that sets a thing into order and doesn't really care. God is intimately involved with you. You have a relationship with God. God has maybe spoken specific promises to you. For example, this church. I will bring in 150 fully devoted followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. It is God's timetable, it is God's purpose, it is God's doing. We just have to trust and believe. And I was thinking, God, is there a sign or a symbol that we've actually set up about that promise? And I can't think of one, necessarily. But my point was, as I was reflecting on that and thinking about that, I thought, what about you and your own personal life? Has God intersected your life in such a way Either in initially establishing the covenant with you or uh, re-establishing the covenant with you because you walked away. Or is it God has made a specific promise to you or over you or over your kids or whatever the case may be that you hold on to every single day because you haven't seen it yet but you know it's going to happen. Do you have an icon that you can place before you as a continual reminder that this is from God? That this relationship between you and God is real and vital and ongoing, and that the promise is not going to not be fulfilled, but it will be fulfilled because God spoke it. I know some of you do have some things like that. I know in my own life I have a few. I have uh, a little stick that's on my uh, on my uh, desk where I have my private time, my quiet time. It's just a little stick. It's about not quite 12 inches long. And it was just basically a twig. I was on a prayer retreat. <clears throat> and during that prayer retreat, one of the private times when I had to go walking out into the woods, I happened to pick it up. And you know how on, uh, on, on, on uh, diamond willow sticks, there's the, the indentations and there's the difference in color in the, in the, in the actual texture of the wood. Um, what I was doing, I didn't know anything about diamond willow back then, but what I was doing with this piece was there, was, there were indentations on this twig, this stick. And so I carefully peeled back the skin, and I saw those indentations. And so I, I literally worked all weekend long, all the time. I mean, my fingers started to blister because I was just doing it, constantly just rubbing. Once I got the skin off, just rubbing my natural skin's oil into the stick, polishing it. Because this stick was a representation to me of what God had done in my life during that weekend. And I, I couldn't even tell you today all of the little nuances of that. But I can tell you, it's still on my table. It's still in front of me every time I pray. A reminder that even though I'm imperfect, even though I've got flaws, 
God can bring about beauty and polish gorgeous uh, depth and richness into this thing because it was submitted to God and God's handiwork. So that's, it's, that's what it speaks to me as I see it in front of my desk. For you walking in, you look at it, why has that got a stick in his hand holder? What's that? That's stupid. But for me, it speaks volumes as I sit before the Lord. It reminds me that God loved me enough to pick me up, even though I had all these imperfections and all these problems and all these bumps, and, and he literally carefully worked. In some cases, he had to be kind of painful, pull off things. Some things he had to work really carefully to get down into the little divot part, to clean it out. But the beauty of it now, it's polished, you can see all the grain. And it's got this, it's, got, it's like, it's, it's literally like it's been varnished or shellacked or something, but all it is is the hand oil from me handling it. But that's the intimacy of, for me of this little stick on my desk. It's a reminder that God is intimately involved with me to the point that it can root beauty out of my brokenness, beauty out of my nature. So I encourage you to spend time with the Lord and set up a stone or a stick or a cross or whatever God was on But keep it before you. Make it something that you'll see regularly as a reminder of what God has done in your life.